The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Sive O'Neill is back with me. Sive is, of course, a senior climate advisor to Friends of the Earth Ireland. And yesterday she was telling us what we can expect from COP28, which has gotten underway in the UAE today. Sive, um, what happened on day one? Well, uh, hello, uh, Kieran. Today was the opening day of the conference. So there was a plenary session. And um, with good news, I think it's it's fair to say, uh, the COP decided on a decision text that approved um, the new loss and damage fund. Now, the basic outline of that was agreed last year at the COP in Egypt. And it was really the only you know, good outcome from that particular COP. So it's it's kind of noteworthy that this is being um, signed off on on the very first day of this COP. So it's a new fund um, that was agreed to support developing countries, particularly that are on the front line of climate damages. And there are many African countries, for example, that have experienced years and years of drought and then waves of flooding and storms and devastation uh, that are impacting on harvests and food security. So this new fund is going to be hosted by the World Bank. It's really important that the fund is a needs-based fund and not just, you know, based on whatever countries donate into it. So just to kick things off, two countries have made pledges of $100 million each. That's the United Arab Emirates and Germany. Um, We've heard that the Taoiseach is going to make an announcement over the weekend when he's at the COP about what commitment Ireland is going to make. But I think uh, there's two important things to note about this, that um, at the moment, while we're seeing the fund kick off, there's no sort of steady stream of income that the fund can rely on. And the costs to developing countries of climate change is is absolutely going to increase over coming years. Uh, It's estimated in the trillions. And the reality is that if developed countries who are high emitters and wealthy and, and you know able to support the uh, transition in developing countries need to be committing billions towards this fund. In fact, Ireland alone, um, just based on our fair share of the global effort, should be committing at least 1.5 billion to the fund. So the, the announcements are very welcome, but the, the fund itself has still got very small amounts of money mm. in it. We'll have to see how things go over the next few days but a sustainable, steady supply of income from ideally that, you know, matches the polluter pays principle. I mean, we should be taxing the profits of fossil fuel companies. We should be taxing excess corporation wealth and uh, financial inequality, carbon inequality in the world, which is very much part and parcel of the climate injustice that's playing out at the moment. So 1.5 billion on a kind of pro rata basis is what we should be contributing. I mean, have you any indication? I know you say that it's it's yet to be revealed, but are there any indications as to what we might contribute? Well, I very much doubt it will be anything close to that. Um, I think that the Taoiseach is, is likely to make some play of the fact that Ireland played a, an important role in designing this fund and ensuring that the negotiations were successful. And that is indeed to Ireland and uh, Minister Eamon Ryan's credit. He was uh, one of the co-negotiators for the European Union on this. And it's, 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 it's significant. It is an important development and it's something that should be celebrated. And we played our part in that. But the bigger picture is that developed countries are still not doing their fair share of the efforts. They're not doing enough to mitigate climate change and we're not doing enough to support uh, the climate finance needs of developing countries. And there's just shocking uh, disparities in wealth and even in renewable energy 
capacity mm. between the north and the global south. So we're going to have to step up. It's going to be really important in securing the support of developing countries at these negotiations. It's one of the major blocks to uh, successful outcomes, notwithstanding the role of the fossil fuel companies as well. Um this fund then, as you say, listen, it's to be welcomed, the commitments uh, to it. It probably falls into the category, though, of, of mitigation against the impacts of climate change rather than mitigation against climate change. Uh, to what extent, you know, is there a, a, an attitude amongst the wealthier countries in the world that that, that is where we're at now? You know, let, let's well, kind of put our eggs in that. But we can kind of we'll, we'll talk about mitigation against climate change, but let's now just move on to the mitigation against impact. Yeah, I think there's a few different things. So the the climate finance that developed countries signed up to, the $100 billion a year that they committed to back in 2009, which has only just been got over the line, that is supposed to support mitigation adaptation um, in developing countries. And in fact, it's important to note that a lot of that money, the 100 billion, is actually in the form of loans. So one of the things that TROCRA, one of the lead agencies in Ireland that's been working on this issue uh, in recent years, um, has said is that it's really important that the loss and damage fund, which is not about supporting mitigation or adaptation, it's supporting, it's a kind of form of compensation, like insurance. Mm. When your house is flooded, when your house is blown away by the storm, you need compensation. You need a way to get back up on your feet again. And you need to find a way of supporting local authorities and, and, and states in rebuilding infrastructure that's lost, bridges and roads and all the rest of it. So, Loss and damage is supposed to be a different kind of fund. The developing countries were fighting hard for um, it to be seen as a sort of uh, compensation measure, essentially, because they didn't cause climate damages and yet they're suffering the brunt of it. Mm. They're on the front line. So this kind of fund is supposed to operate in a different way. It's supposed to be based on what's needed on the ground. And it's really important that it doesn't come in the form of loans. So that's why it needs to be in a separate fund. And it's also why some NGOs have put some doubt over whether it's appropriate to house this fund in the World Bank, um, because that's seen as part of the kind of global financial institutions that have really uh, continued the system of indebtedness to developing countries and haven't really resolved that in any meaningful way. Not, not, not huge hope uh, on the uh, text line. I have zero faith that these people at COP uh, will do anything to make the crisis better. And Elle says 28 of these cops and nothing done. What a load of bull, pointless, the whole thing. What do you say to that, Sive? I'm sure in hindsight, some of the 28 have been pointless. Have any of them achieved? What ones stand out for you? Oh, I, I, I think the progress has been pathetically slow compared to what the scientists have been telling us. But there's no doubt about it that major milestones have been reached. For example, we had the Kyoto Protocol, it seems like in the distant past now, in 1997. And that was the first time there were binding limits set on the emissions of developed countries. Now, there was a lot of political consternation about the fact that China wasn't included and India wasn't included at the time. Um, so eventually that agreement sort of got parked and put, you know, put aside to some extent. But it did impose binding limits that were adhered to by the European Union. And that's what Ireland has been working on up until 2020. And then, of course, COP21 delivered the Paris Agreement, which was a really novel kind of treaty in that it had the very broad participation and support of over 190 countries. It was the first time that we saw a kind of real consensus around the need for climate change and climate justice and sustainable development to work hand in hand. Now, 
now we're at the implementation stage. This is where the finance has to be delivered and the emissions need to come down. So some are arguing, well, maybe it's time to start looking at a new treaty, uh, one that would phase out fossil fuels. And that might need to happen as a kind of separate protocol or a separate treaty initiative altogether. But either either way, the, the COP is still a very important forum for bringing all of these kind of multifaceted and systemic global crises together because we don't have a world government. So we're only going to get whatever countries sign up to and agree to when they come together at a forum like this. So it's the best we've got. And it's obviously not good enough, but it's the best we've got. And why did everyone have to fly to Dubai? And why not do COP over Zoom? Uh, question somebody who obviously doesn't remember how awful those Zoom table quizzes uh, were during COVID. Uh, I'll put my own money on this and bet the fund never sees the light of day. And Chris says most developing countries don't trust the World Bank. They've been burned too often. So like I say, not huge faith uh, on the text line. Anyway, we will have to see how COP progresses over the next few days. Saiv is going to keep us uh, up to date on all of that. Saiv O'Neill is a senior climate advisor to Friends of the Earth uh, Ireland. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.